Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for taking the time to join us for the first MOA webinar of 2017, Hiring Within Athletics from the Perspective of a University President. Before we get started, there are a few housekeeping items that I would like to make you aware of. First, if you haven't already done so, uh, make sure that you register for the MOA Symposium before May 17th, which is the early bird deadline to take advantage of discounted pricing. Second, just as a reminder, if you haven't logged into the MOA community, I encourage you to do so. The community is the primary location for many helpful resources. Uh, to access the community, simply visit moa.nacta.com. If you have any questions regarding supposed registration or your MOA membership, in general, please don't hesitate to contact either Nathan Anderson or Julie Work in the National Office at 440-892-4000. And I'll say that again, 440-892-4000. Now, for today's webinar, if you have a question throughout the course of the webinar, feel free to use the chat feature on the bottom right of your screen. Please note, I will moderate a brief question and answer session at the conclusion of today's webinar and the majority of questions will be addressed during that time. Today, we are extremely lucky, and we happily received the Lincoln University President, Dr. Kevin D. Rohn Sr., here with us, to discuss hiring within athletics from the university president perspective. Dr. Rohn's career is rooted in higher education with an array of experience in diversity and retention, student conduct, student development, counseling, uh, career services, housing, residential life, intramurals, and athletics. Dr. Rome, thank you, and we happily receive you. We are glad that you're here with us today. So without further ado, I want to jump right into the questions and get to, look, get to know a little bit more about you. So without further ado, let us know about yourself, your background, your upbringing, and how you got to your current position. Sure. Thank you, Darnell. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me to participate. Uh, I'll give you a little bit about my background, and I won't give you a whole lot because in the, in the, uh, during this conversation, hopefully more come out, but I want to focus on their questions and, and less on myself. I was born in Georgia, uh, born in Columbus, Georgia, grew up in Columbus and Decatur, Atlanta area, single parent household. Uh, neither of my parents went to college. And so for me, college was the escape. It was the, the option that would allow me to overcome my circumstances in life. And so I took advantage of it. Didn't know how I was going to afford it. Didn't know much about it. But I went off to college as a naive 18-year-old. And I guess 30 years later, I'm still on the college campus. So I either did something right or I was went totally wrong somewhere along the line. But uh, I, I was fortunate to become an RA when I was an undergraduate. And from that experience, I really enjoyed working with my peers and students. And I decided that I wanted to go into something that would allow me to continue that work. I didn't know that higher education existed as a profession. I didn't know that I could go to graduate school and, 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 and take this path. But I had some mentors along the way who guided me through. Uh, I graduated from Morehouse barely. I was uh, the typical law student who didn't know 
I thought I knew what I wanted to do, but my behavior didn't show it. So I wasn't one who studied enough or took college seriously. But when I became an RA, it changed my life, and then I realized that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into higher education. Went to the University of Georgia, worked in housing, Greek life, financial aid, different areas, graduated, said I was going to move as far away from home as possible, so I moved to California, and I worked at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, California, and I slowly worked my way back to Atlanta through the University of Texas at Austin, through Indiana University, uh, Clayton State University, then ended up back at my alma mater, Morehouse College, where I thought I was going to retire. And then an opportunity came along at North Carolina Central, and then someone thought I might be worthy to be the president of Lincoln University, and they selected me. And I've been here four years, and in July, I will take the reins of Fisk University as their next president. So that's a little bit about my career and the many stops along the way. Yeah, definitely awesome, and congratulations for that opportunity. And, and, and with being in a leadership position, obviously philosophy, style, um, we have to take into account and can have an impact on a department or an organization. If you don't mind, take the opportunity to tell us a little bit about your leadership philosophy, your leadership style. Well, it's one that's very engaging and, and highly relational. I think relationships are everything. You have to know the people that you're working with, and they have to know you, and you have to spend time developing those relationships. And I believe that you empower people to do their jobs. Uh, I don't like to be micromanaged, and so I try not to micromanage. I believe you hire competent people, and you let them do their job. If they're not competent, then you find someone who's competent. But you don't spend a lot of time begging people to do their job. Either they're going to do their jobs or not. And I feel that same work ethic for me. And as a leadership style, no one's going to have to ask me to do my job because my work ethic won't allow me to not do it. And I love being around people who love to work and love to be successful. Appreciate it. Now, let's dive a little bit deeper. And as it relates to athletics or intercollegiate athletics, what is your philosophy style or your leadership style as you not only oversee the university, but also oversee an athletics department or an athletic director? Well, I have to step back a little to my experience at the University of Texas. I was fortunate enough to be the liaison between athletics and student affairs. And because I wasn't a, a, a Division I athlete, I wasn't even a student athlete, uh, I was an intramural professional. So when I was in the position at the University of Texas and I got a chance to peek into the life of a Division I student athlete, the amount of time that they committed to their craft, uh, the, the, the sacrifice, the time-intensive experience that they had, it changed my perspective from just being a person on a Saturday or at a game or a baseball game, you name it, just to see the performance, but it really gave me insight into the commitment of the coaches, the athletic staff, and more so the athletes. And I, I, I really changed and gave me much more of a passion and appreciation for it. Uh, having attended some large institutions, I have a love for athletics, 
there's only one reason that I wanted to go to the University of Georgia, and that was Herschel Walker. Uh, as a child, I watched Herschel Walker play football, and I didn't know anything about the University of Georgia, but I knew I wanted to attend the school where Herschel Walker was a running back. And now I know people make their decisions about universities for many reasons, but that let me know the power of athletics in recruiting students. And so as a president, I understand that people make decisions about their institutions for many reasons, but athletics is a very powerful attractor to students, particularly as you look at large athletic programs, many of the programs that have grown, a lot of it has to do with their athletic programs, even though they have very strong academic programs, but most people are introduced to the institution because of their athletic programs, either being on television or being in their community or playing in, a, a, in the area that they're in, and that's what grabs their attention. And as little kids are growing up, they go, I want to attend this school because of the athletics, and we have to respect that. Awesome, and, and when you talk about attending a school and the philosophy style, let's talk a little bit about the support. So from your position, um, when it relates to athletics, intercollegiate athletics, how do you define support? And support could be resources, it could be money, and it does change from institution to institution. But from your perspective, what does support look like on your campus or with you in the athletics department? As a president, I think it's important to be present and to be present on the academic side, the student affairs side, and the athletics side. Uh, as a president, I want to find the resources to help the teams be successful. There's a direct correlation between resources and success. We cannot deny that. And so as a president, I have to acknowledge that and help find those resources even when there are others on campus who question why we invest in athletics because they don't understand the significance of athletics. Secondly, it's important for me to be present showing up at the event. I show up to as many games at home and away as possible. And I know this is probably not typical, but as a, a president, I watch all football games from the sideline. I, I can't sit in the stands. I don't go up. I may go up into the box and say hello, but when the game starts, I'm going to be right on the sideline with the players, watching, encouraging. I know my role. I am not a coach, and I do not try to dabble in coaching because that's not my forte. But when the students see me there, they see that support. When the alumni see me, they, they know that that's the priority for me. And when the students see me on the sideline, they know it's a priority. And whether it's a basketball game, a softball game, a tennis match, you name it, I think the president should be present. But that's just my philosophy. Yeah, well, definitely appreciate it. And as you mentioned, um, athletics does play uh, a, a huge role, and there is need for support. Now, there's a lot of young administrators out there watching this, this webinar, uh, maybe that have come in contact with you at some point, asking that question, how do I get my foot in the door in athletics? or how do I get my foot in the door with whatever uh, career? What kind of tips can you provide to young administrators, not just young, but any administrator, on how to get their foot in the door, either with athletics or just within higher education? 
Well, what I would say to graduate students and even undergraduates is find a way to volunteer, get a part-time job, whatever, in athletics. That, that's important. If they don't have paid positions, many people have volunteered their way, their ways into major positions. And so you find ways to get engaged and get involved. And it doesn't always mean you're going to get paid. So that's important to know what people go, well, they're not paying. Well, the experience will pay off eventually. So you volunteer. And as an administrator uh, in athletics, they're always looking for people to assist. And even though my full-time job at Texas wasn't athletics, anything that I could do to engage in athletics, I did because at some point I thought I might have a career in athletics, and I, and I knew that that would be helpful. But it's making those connections, looking for opportunities, but looking for opportunities to volunteer, whether it's tutoring students, because they always need tutoring, showing up to events, helping with setup, you name it. There are so many ways to get involved, and you'll find that those connections can lead to greater opportunities. So there are no excuses when people say, I can't find an opportunity. Create the opportunity. I like that. I like that. And with that, let's, let's transition into those that you feel have either done it the right way or that could set, uh, be an example. So if you don't mind, take the opportunity to describe the qualities of your best hire. Well, to me, I'm always impressed with people who study their craft. You have to know, you have to study the history, you have to know the statistics. As a coach, you have to watch film. You have to be knowledgeable of not only what you're doing, but what the greats have done who have accomplished whatever feats they've accomplished. And so I'm always impressed when someone has a historical perspective about whatever sports team or, or, or athletic area they're working with. To me, that, that, that's critically important. And even if you're going to be an athletic director, you should have some knowledge about, you may not know all the sports, but you better have one or two that you consider yourself an expert in, and it, it should be in the division that you want to work in. And so for me, I'm always impressed by people who have knowledge, and I don't mean just general knowledge, but who go above and beyond, and it shows that they have a passion for that area because you can't teach passion. You can't train passion. That's something that comes from within. And when someone gets excited about athletics, you know they can get other people excited about it. But if they're just dry and they go, yeah, I want to do it, and there's not a lot of excitement, then I'm not going to get excited, and why would I want to hire that person to lead my team? Because I want my student-athletes excited. I want the staff to be excited. I want them to get everyone who comes to the event excited, and that's where it begins. Also, and, and, and I'm going to follow up with something you mentioned regarding athletic directors and how important is fundraising in the position of an athletic director? So if you were to hire an athletic director, how much would you weigh the fundraising component to that? Because there, there is conversation or at least a thought that either now or just um, in general that fundraising is necessary for that role. So. Can you talk a little bit about that and help us understand a little bit more? Sure. And it starts with friend raising. It all starts with relationships. And I said earlier how important relationships are. An athletic director has to build quality relationships with the community, 
the business community, donors, you name it. It starts with the relationships. And once you build the relationships, that's when you can build, bring in the resources. People give to people. Now, at the end of the day, they may love a sport, they may love, they participate it, but they have to feel a connection to the person that's going to receive the check. And so someone may love a sport and not like the person who was associated with the sport, and guess what? They choose not to give. So it's important to build those relationships. They have to know you. You can't sit in a, in a room or in a corner and think that people are going to give. And, and in today's, uh, 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 when you look at resources drying up, it's critically important for uh, athletic administrators, not just the athletic director, but everyone associated with the athletic program to build relationships because coaches are critical in that. When, when, when I uh, look at our school, we expect every coach to raise a certain amount of money, and a lot of them raise it by their relationships with the parents, the communities where the students come from, the businesses in the community that they frequent, but it's those relationships that translate into financial support and other resources that benefit the institution. Uh, awesome. I appreciate that. And, and for clarifying and, and going deeper, And when you talk about friend raising and being able to connect and the, the idea of connection, whenever you're searching for or evaluating an athletic director, what qualities do you look for? What's, what's most important to you whenever you're evaluating or searching for an athletic director? Well, you want someone with integrity. You want someone who has a history of uh, integrity, making good decisions, someone who, is, uh, who, who has made good connections. Many times you look for people who are popular. And so as you look at this profession, which is large but really small when you get engaged in it, and if it's someone you've never heard of, you've never seen at a conference, you've never seen them active, then I would be pretty skeptical of hiring that person. You want someone who knows people all over the country. You want someone who knows other athletic directors. Even if they haven't been an athletic director, director they have those connections. You want them to come from a program that has had integrity. Uh, that, uh, one of the things I, I, I say to my athletic director and my coaches, we want to win more than anything, but more than anything, we want to win the right way. And right. so it's about winning and how you win. If you have to cheat, it's not worth it. So that, that's important when you look at an athletic director. You want someone with a similar philosophy who says, we will win the right way. We will teach our student athletes to be responsible. Uh, one of, our, one of our, uh, our athletic director here says something that's important to me, and he's also the head basketball coach, John Mosley. He says, I want to recruit student athletes who I want to engage with off, off the basketball court. And to me, that's integrity. When you recruit people who you don't just want to see on the basketball court win, you are comfortable bringing around your family. You're comfortable bringing them into your household. You're comfortable interacting with them. You don't want to just get out of practice and say, see you next practice. That says something about a program when you like and even love the student athletes you're working with and you're invested in their success beyond the sport. Awesome. Now, there, there are some administrators or those aspiring to 
to work in intercollegiate athletics or just in, in athletics. Uh, and we talked about getting a foot in the door, but let's talk a little bit about fit. So what tips or advice can you give to individuals who are trying to find the right fit? Or is the idea of the right fit even the way to look? Well, I always believe, again, it goes back to relationships. You can be in a small environment, but if you don't have great relationships, I don't think you're going to be happy. You can be in a large environment, and if you don't have great relationships, I don't think you're going to be happy. And so I tend to, I'm an intuitive person, and, and, and I look at how I vibe with people and the relationships. And when I'm interviewing people, uh, I look at how meticulous they are, and I should have said this earlier. I look at their shoes. I look at their fingernails. I look at how they're dressed. Because if they show up for the interview and, they, and it looks like they've prepared and they've been meticulous about it, it says something about how they will do the job. But if it looks like they just walked in, suits not pressed, shoes not shined, I, I believe in getting manicures, but everyone didn't have to do that, but the nails not neat. To me, that says something about what I can expect from their work ethic. And I should have said that earlier. And that's something that people should think about, the impressions that we set when we show up. Um, and then you, you, you ask about uh, making those connections about large, small. You know, some people aren't comfortable in a large environment. They really need to be a big fish in a small pond. And that's okay if you know that's who you are. And if you need to be a small fish in a large pond, that's okay. Because some people are overwhelmed when they see the big institutions and everything that happens in there isolate it to one particular area because at a small school you can get engaged in many different aspects of athletics at a large school it's more specialized and so for people who know they need that specialized experience they only want to focus on one particular aspect of what they're doing then the big school is where they should go but if you want to get engaged in everything and have crossover and not a lot of boundaries then a small school is probably where you would fit best and, and I want to touch a little bit deeper on something. Uh, earlier you talked a, a little bit about mentors. And um, I remember having a, a at least listening uh, to a Frida Goff um, who mentioned that the idea of each one reach one. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so profound. Could you talk a little bit about how important or uh, just the, the role mentors play when administrators are trying to advance in athletics? Well, I believe, and it's another twist to that, I believe as you rise, you pull someone up with you. And so they pull someone else up, and so there's a pipeline. And so particularly when it comes to uh, maybe women or ethnic minorities, I think it's even more critical to network and have those who may have a similar background or a similar experience or a similar uh, ethnic experience to interact with those uh, individuals and talk about the challenges that you face and the successes and, and, and really support each other and to find people who are empathetic to your plight. And that person doesn't have to look like you. They don't have to be the same gender, but they must be empathetic to what you're going through, and they have to acknowledge that you may have some different challenges than me. But when anyone says, oh, it's the same for everyone, everyone, that's absolutely 
not true in my experience, in my life, and what I believe. I believe that there are certain challenges associated with certain identities, and as soon as we acknowledge them and we work towards achieving whatever we go, whatever goals we have despite those differences, then we can be successful. But if we ignore them, then I think we'll just find ourselves frustrated. And so we have to find people who are committed to our success, willing to work with us, listen, listen. And, 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 and what's most important is someone who's going to be honest with you because we all have blind spots. We need someone who's going to be brutally honest with us, and we have to be open to receiving that without being too sensitive because if anyone thinks they have everything figured out and no one can tell them anything, they're probably not going to be successful. Awesome. And if you don't mind, let's talk about, because another idea when it comes to entering intercollegiate athletics, working in intercollegiate athletics, or even sitting in the seat as uh, an athletic director, tell me a little bit about uh, terminal degrees. Uh, do you believe, what, what, is, what do you believe regarding terminal degrees, PhDs, doctorates, and uh, receiving one um, in, in relation to being an athletic director? Is it necessary? Does it, is it helpful? Uh, can we bypass it? Well, I think a doctorate is a doctorate. I know college presidents who have EDDs. I have a PhD, but it wasn't because I, didn't, I thought a PhD was better than an EDD. It's just at the University of Texas, I was in a PhD program. But if I had been in a place that had an EDD, I would have an EDD right now because to me the degree is important. And the degree is important because it's better to have it and not need it than to be in a situation where you need it and you don't have it. That's just my own philosophy. I don't think that every athletic director has to have a, a doctorate, but I think if you're going to work in the academy and you're going to interact with others in the academy, particularly faculty and other administrators who have the credentials, then you bring more authenticity and you bring, you, you bring more credibility when you have the degrees that they have. Again, it's not absolute, but when you go in and talk to faculty and you're saying doctor and they say doctor back to you, that's a level of interaction and power that you don't have when they say mister. Nothing wrong with being mister or missus. Now, if they say miss and then you say doctor, there's a different level there. And so I would encourage anyone who is in a position to get a doctorate to do it. And the other thing is you may not stay in athletic administration. You may become a president. And so I can guarantee you you're probably going to need that doctorate when you become president. And I believe that athletic directors can make great presidents because they're used to dealing with all the issues that encompass a student-athlete which are academic, social, you name it, they have the experience. And so that can translate into someone running a university. Thank you for that. Now, to get a little bit more uh, specific to athletic department positions, and positions change from institution to institution, uh, titles change from institution to institution, but Let's just say for sake, if you're an associate athletic director with certain responsibilities, but you're trying to advance to a senior associate status or maybe even an athletic director status or 
you know, if you're going from maybe an assistant director to a director, uh, what tips can you provide to that individual trying to take that step as opposed to, um, you know, looking at trying to take that giant leap? Well, one of the things that I've found is that it's usually much more challenging to move up in one environment. From my experience, opportunities come from movement. When you move from place to place, you get more experiences and you get more opportunities to rise in an organization. Uh, sometimes it's good to be a known quantity, and sometimes it's not so good to be a known quantity. And uh, the unknown quantity sometimes is perceived as being more valuable than a known quantity. And it doesn't mean that that's true. It's just that once people know you in an environment and they may assume that they know what you're capable of doing without considering any limitations that exist in that environment, it may hold you back. And so the first thing I would say is be willing to move. I've told people this in my entire career. I can live anywhere for three years. And if it's not the right place for me after three years, I'm going to go. But I will stay there and make that sacrifice. I'll get the experience. And so I think if people want to move up, they have to be willing to venture out. And, 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 and if you can't venture out, which some people choose not to or feel that they can't, you have to make sure that you seek opportunities that will provide you experiences outside of your job description. So if you think just doing your job, your, your job description alone is going to qualify you for that next opportunity, I would say that may or may not be the case. But when you have other experiences and other qualities that you can bring in that may have nothing to do with your day-to-day -day work responsibilities, that makes you more valuable. And uh, again, it goes back to volunteering. Ask for opportunities to do more. And it doesn't always, it, it rarely comes with more pay. It just comes with experience and value the experience because it may be much more valuable than just getting paid at that particular time. Yeah. And to, so there's a saying that uh, I've heard once or twice before that uh, uh, you don't want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, so with that being said, um, what's your philosophy, your idea as opposed uh, as it relates to that particular saying, uh, is it okay for administrators to try to uh, dabble in several different things, maybe not master one of them, but you have that collective experience, or do you say let's focus on these particular tasks and work your way up to there? Well, again, it goes back to what type of institution do you want to serve? If you're serving a smaller institution, you better be a jack-of-all-trades because there's no telling what you'll have to do day-to-day -day because of no one, you know, the other duties that are assigned, that's everything that you end up spending a, a lot of your time on. If you go to a large institution, it's pretty specific what you're going to do, and so it's much more important to be a master of that area and the expert of that area because you probably won't have an opportunity to work or dabble in a lot of areas particularly at the large Division I institutions. And so it really depends on what that person wants. 
I'm one of those people, I get easily bored. So I have to diversify what I'm doing. I can't just do one thing. That would drive me crazy. And there are other people who can sit and do the same thing day after day after day, and they're comfortable. So it's important to know yourself and know what's going to make you happy. Awesome. So when you mentioned um, knowing yourself and being happy, I know that individuals, and I've been approached um, by individuals here or there and others that I've talked to, one of the important factors to hiring uh, in athletics or any position is that resume or that maybe that 30-second elevator speech. If you were to look at an athletic director's resume or if you were, if you've seen or heard uh, of a good resume, what's the first thing that you look at or can you describe what a sound resume should have? Sure. It's going to have your credentials. I shouldn't have to look around to see where you attended and that you have your degrees and whatever certifications and that should all be, that's the first thing I'm going to look at. Do you have degrees? Uh, uh, what certifications do you have? And then I'm going to look at the specific duties that you have. One of the things that people look at, at a lot of resumes understand is that people who don't have a lot of experience, they don't necessarily list their jobs and the experience on their job. They list opportunities that they've had. And so to me, that's, that, that's the first sign of someone who doesn't have a lot of experience when they just list a lot of different experiences that they've had, but I don't know where they necessarily took place. So it's not the traditional resume that says, I was an assistant athletic director here. These are the things that I accomplished. These are my responsibilities, and they're delineated. But when they say, I have the ability to do this, 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 and this, I go, well, I don't see where you've done those things. And so I, I don't know that you've had those experiences. And so it's, it's really important to delineate what you've actually done, what you've accomplished, and then say, what you think you're capable of, but you don't convolute them so someone has to try to figure out, now what have they really done? Now what jobs, I can't quite figure out from the resume, and it's hard to fool people who look at a lot of resumes. Yeah. And, and to kind of piggyback off of that, uh, talk a little bit about this thing, because I've heard this as well, and maybe you have as well, that uh, it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. So could you speak a little bit about that? Do you believe in one or the other? Uh, what's your idea with that? Well, I think it's a combination, but I think it's more important who knows you. And that's why it's so important to go to conferences and to go to seminars and engage with people because people who are active see other people. And they go, that's Darnell. I saw him at this event. I saw him here, and then after a while, they go, well, someone mentions Darnell Smith, and they go, yeah, I know him. I've seen him. And so that's important. If someone says, hey, I'm looking for this person. Do you know anyone? They go, Darnell, I've seen him. He's engaged. I've interacted with him. He's intelligent. He's someone who I would hire. And, and, and that's important because a lot of uh, hires come from referrals. And, 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 and at a certain level, I always say, if you have to apply, you're probably not going to get the job. If someone calls you, you have a much better chance of getting the job. And so you want to be in a position where people are calling you instead of you searching through uh, 
whatever websites or journals or you name it looking for jobs, you want people to call you or send you an email saying, hey, I have this opportunity I want you to consider. And to follow up with that, one thing that uh, has been asked of me or I've, that I've heard regarding business cards, it's not just so simple, but yet, again, with, with hiring and especially athletics, uh, business cards are something that floats around. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard that maybe you shouldn't have business cards are not necessarily that useful because people grab them and then they either toss them, unfortunately. Sometimes people hold them, that way they can follow up. Mm -hmm. For those administrators who utilize business cards or at least have them or print them and want to do something with them, what's your philosophy, what, what tips can you provide when it comes to using business cards to hopefully make that connection? Well, I think still that there, most situations exist where those who are hiring are of a different generation than those who are being hired these days. And many of those people who are still in those hiring positions have come through a period where business cards were important. And so for them, they're still going to ask for a business card. And if you say, oh, I, got, I have an electronic and I'll send it to your phone or I'll send it, they'll go, ah, I don't use my phone like that. So, so for those who are, who are up on the technology, it's great. But for those who are not, you're not going to connect with them and they're not going to be impressed that they can't communicate with you because you didn't have a business card. And so I, I think it depends on the person. If someone asks you for a business card, or either, I think it's still appropriate to go up to someone and say, here, I want to give you my card, contact me, or can I have your business card and follow up. Um, if you are the one asking for business cards, I think it's important to follow up with that person with an email or a note to say, hey, it was nice meeting you. I want to stay in contact because it's building that relationship. If it's someone in a hiring position, they probably get so many, well, I'll speak for myself, I get a lot of business cards, and I don't get a chance to follow up on all of them, but if that person receives my card and sends me an email, nine times out of ten, I'm going to respond. I try to respond 100% of the time, but sometimes I miss, I make mistakes, so I get so many emails that I miss some, but I typically try to respond and I know most people will if they have the time. And if they don't, don't take it personally. Maybe they are, they are overwhelmed. Maybe they have thousands of emails you don't know. Maybe they even missed your email. So it's okay to send a second email. I wouldn't send a third email. But it's okay to send a follow-up and say, hey, I sent you an email. I didn't get a response. I want to make sure you received it. And then they respond. But if you are looking to make a connection, you have to initiate. Awesome. All right, um, so as we bring this um, webinar to, to a close, I do have one final question uh, for you. And if you don't mind, just let me know why is it important for those watching and those who will watch in the future, why is it important for them to hear this message from your perspective? Well, I think that it's important to understand our different identities and how we connect. And we talk a lot about diversity. We talk about diversity of gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, you name it. It's important to have diversity. And I think those are things we have to talk about. 
And for those who fall into certain categories, I think it's important to learn how to navigate systems to get to where you want to go. And, and the reality is, um, historically, we didn't have certain representation. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, we didn't have it. And so in order to get to those positions, we have to understand what it takes to get there. You just don't land in an AD's position. You don't just don't land in a presidency. There are steps. There's a pathway to getting there. And I think it's important for us to discuss on a frequent basis with those who want to get to certain positions, what is the path to get there? Now, different people take different paths, but there are paths, paths to get there, and it's important for us to know because I think sometimes people end up frustrated because they feel like they're not getting opportunities or they're being overlooked. But the reality is they don't understand what it takes to get the position. And so I think we have a responsibility to mentor, to educate, to assist, to direct, to lead, to whatever we have to do to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to fulfill their dreams, their goals, and we have to challenge others to make sure that they're focused on diversity and they're creating opportunities for everyone, particularly in an area like athletics where the athletes are so diverse. We have men, we have women, we have people from different ethnicities, we have people from different sexual orientations, and if they can participate in the sport, I truly believe they should be able to lead the sport as a coach, as an AD, and in other, any other capacity. I don't think one is just capable of participating in that sport, and we have to make sure that student athletes understand the path, just like anyone who's not a student athlete, that there are opportunities in these professions. Thank you for that. At this point, we're going to open it up to uh, questions uh, from the audience. So if you give me a second, I think we have a question. Uh, what are some of your misconceptions about being in your professional role? Well, people, sometimes people believe that presidents know everything, or just because you're the president, you are not a real person. You know, presidents are just like you and everyone else. They've just risen up the, uh, uh, the ranks, but they're still just, well, I'll speak for me. I'm just a regular, normal person. I have feelings. I think about things. Uh, I have family. I have fun. I laugh. I, I, I'm just a regular person who happens to be in the role of, of a president. Um, and, and, we, and, and I put a lot of thought in the decisions that I make. And it's not my goal to make people's lives miserable. I don't make decisions purposely as people sit and they go, you sit in the ivory tower or you sit in the whatever term they use on the campuses about presidents. It's, it's a challenging job. It's not as glamorous as people think, but it's a fulfilling job, and it's one that requires a lot of retrospective thinking, a lot of uh, consideration, and, and, and a lot of contemplation that most people don't get a chance to see. Yeah. I have another question come through. So when it comes to leadership and uh, being in a, a position of authority, uh, knowing how to run a department, um, knowledge is something that one must possess or the ability of that department. 
when it comes to knowledge, and you spoke a little bit about education, how important is reading or books uh, for taking um, a position of advancement? And in addition to that, what books uh, are out there that you would recommend uh, for administrators to read that can help them navigate this industry? Well, knowledge is power. And, and, and don't let anyone fool you. And I think books are powerful tools to move ahead. Uh, I've read so many self-help books that I won't even start to, to mention them. But outside of reading work-related books, I read a lot of biographies, a lot of autobiographies. I want to know how successful people or people who failed, what happened in their lives to lead them through their journey. And so I read a lot of biographies biographies about people who have nothing to do with education, but I learned from the decisions that they made in their lives and how they got to their points of success or failure. And so I, I think highly successful people want to learn about highly successful people. And so I, I would encourage people to read about their craft and be very knowledgeable about their craft, but also do reading outside of it. I just happen to like music and entertainment. And I read a lot of uh, biographies about uh, those in the entertainment business. And I like the law, so I read a lot of John Grisham. But when I read John Grisham, I learn about so many different other areas that have nothing to do with law because I like. And so I, I just think you find authors that you like and you read. And, 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 and again, it's boring if you only read. Uh, work-related materials, and, and I do that, but I try to read as many diverse uh, uh, publications and uh, books as I can. Awesome. You mentioned musician. Any favorite, any particular artists uh, uh, that you like more so? Uh, and, and, I, and I'm more old school, so, you know, I, I, I recently read uh, a, the biography of Luther Vandross, which was written before he passed away, and so I would have liked to read more uh, I, I read. I, I try to read a lot about uh, uh, performers from the '60s, uh, some from the '70s, but usually I'm stuck around the '60s, and 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 and, and so that's kind of where I am. Even though I love rap and hip hop, and I and I, and I listen to that, but I like to read about the other artists. Awesome. Uh, another question that came in: uh, How do you motivate employees or department that is content with his or her role? Well, we have to uh, find what motivates people. Uh, and what motivates me may not motivate someone else, and so it goes to the relationships. And I don't assume that everyone can be motivated. Sometimes you have to motivate them out. And so that's something that we don't always like talking about. But uh, one thing is I can work with a lot of things, but I can't work with a bad attitude. And so the first thing I look at, the person has to have an attitude that says to me, they want to be successful. They want to contribute. Because uh, a bad attitude brings down everyone in the environment. And you may have people who are doing great work, and they're demotivated because of that bad ethos, that, 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 that whatever they bring to the, that spirit, whatever they bring to the environment. And so you want to address it or remove it. And, 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 and so when it comes to departments, find what excites people. And I think success usually excites people. Uh, bring in people from the outside to talk about uh, 
ways that they've been successful to maybe motivate people. Send people to conferences. A lot of times people get so caught up in what's happening um, at their institution that they think this is the way everyone operates or this is the way it's supposed to be, and then you expose them to new information, to new data, new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things. Other people who are excited, and maybe they come back rejuvenated, but the worst thing you can do is just let them be there every day, day in and day out, demotivated, unmotivated, and uh, then they demotivate everyone around them. That, that, that's not a good environment. Yeah. Another question we have from the audience, understanding that athletics is typically a tight-knit group. As a president, what is your philosophy on dealing with conflict amongst coworkers and friends? Okay, uh, I believe that you direct that you address things directly, um, and it's all about relationships. As you know people, you know who's more sensitive, who's less sensitive. How do I couch what I'm going to say so that they can hear me and that they will listen? Uh, but you know, it's like the elephant on the rug. You can't you can ignore it, but it's not ever going to go away, and everyone knows it's there. So I believe you address things directly. Um, but, but you have to be tactful and empathetic and, and, and show concern. Uh, you never do it out of, uh, out of anger. That's typically the wrong thing to do. And, and, and you have to be sensitive. And I typically try to think through what I'm saying and how it may be perceived. I can't control how it's perceived, but I can think about the words that I use to make sure that I'm not offensive, that I don't put people on the defensive, and that I say things in a way that they can hear them. And then if that doesn't work, I just say it the way I say it, and it goes the way it goes, and then we deal with the fallout. But I, I, that's the least preferred way of doing it. Yep. Another question from the audience, and please keep them coming. Uh, you talked a little, about, a little bit about fundraising earlier. What's your thoughts on events like auctions or bingo and ADs being able to put together events and, um, and not just corporate sponsors? Well, this past year we gave away a car. We had a raffle, a drawing for a car, and it was very successful. You know, I, I think you have to do what works in your environment as long as it's legal in your state. Because some states have certain laws that don't allow you to do things. So you have to make sure that you're not doing something illegal. But if it's fun, uh, if it's an auction, I personally don't necessarily like auctioning people. I, I have issues. I have personal issues with that. But services, uh, uh, items. You name it, uh, I, I think those are, are, are good, whether it's a silent auction or I just participated in a, an alumni auction where I was the auctioneer for uh, a trip to a casino uh, uh, at one of our alumni events. And so I, I think those are fun ways to get to raise money and to engage. And, and, and again, you have to use whatever tricks you have to bring in the resources. Just another question came in. Uh, do you foresee athletics being permanently removed from the academy like it was pre-1900s? I think that would be a huge mistake. Um, I, I think college should be exciting and students should have options. Now, every school doesn't need athletics, but to take it away totally, I think, would deny uh, and deprive our students, our young people and older people, whoever's participating in opportunities 
And, and, and when we look at sports, we can't just look at it in a narrow way and go, well, we invest too much money. Sports can teach leadership. It can teach integrity. It can teach uh, collaboration. It teaches teamwork. Uh, it takes critical thinking skills. Uh, it, it, it takes. It teaches one endurance. So there's so many things that a person can learn through athletics that you're not going to learn sitting in a classroom. And so we need people who are prepared to be successful in many different ways. And if you, if one works with someone who's a student athlete, many times they have a different work ethic than someone who wasn't. And so I, I think we have to we have to be very careful when we just look at it about the resources or it's taken away from the academy. I think we have to rethink about it and try to engage more students in athletics. And it may not be athletics; it may be something that teaches those skills that are so critical that people learn through participating uh, as student athletes. Thank you. And this will be the last question uh, before we close. And uh, if you don't mind, um, go ahead and answer it uh, at your convenience. What do you say to young administrators who is in a leadership position but is often undermined by their staff because of their ego? Uh, insensitive comments. So for that is, you know, what do you know I've been working here since, you know, I was born? That, that kind of mentality. What do you say to those in that situation? Well, well, someone who has risen in the ranks fairly quickly and, and, and many times been one of the younger people on staff or sometimes people perceive because of age you have less knowledge and less experience. I, I, I've dealt with a lot of that. And one thing I, I, I've always said, and I believe this, is I don't own other people's issues. If someone has an issue with me because I'm young, that's their issue. I'm going to do my job, and I'm going to be successful. If someone has an issue with me because I'm black, that's their issue. I'm going to do my job and be successful. If someone has an issue with me because I'm a male, the same thing. If someone has an issue with me because I'm from the South or because I'm back, whatever it is, I don't own their issues. All I do is try to produce. And if you produce, eventually I think that cream rises to the top. And so those people who say we've always done it this way, sometimes, and, and this may not be the right response, but it's better to ask for, uh, forgiveness than permission. You do what you have to do. You make it successful. But you can't let that individual allow you to not be successful. So you find ways to work around them. And if you can't bear it, you find a place that will respect you for what you do and for what you contribute because I don't believe in anyone being in an environment where they're miserable or unhappy or they don't feel good about going to work. Everyone should, be, should feel good. You should feel great about going to work. And if you don't, you have to ask yourself why. And that's what I do. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Roman. On behalf of MOA and its leadership, we sincerely, we gratefully thank you uh, for taking the time with us today to share your knowledge and your thoughts on hiring and athletics from a president's perspective. That's all the time we have for today. Um, if you have any questions regarding the supposing registration or your MOA membership in general, please don't hesitate to contact either Nathan Anderson or Julie Work 
in the national office. As a reminder, I hope everyone has a great rest of the day, and we look forward to seeing all of you at the MOA Symposium in Orlando in June. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to participate.